0: Welcome to the Clay Young
1: Show. Got a good one for you today. Metro Council member John Delgado joins us on the digital front porch. And we talk about everything from his Cuban heritage, Fidel Castro and the beginnings of that time to his disagreement with the city of St. George to (laughs) terrorism and the meaning thereof, the capital area transit system in the Baton Rouge area And a whole lot more fascinating conversation with a man who sees himself as a servant to the public, but also someone who's got some very interesting views on the relationship that a family should have. I I found the conversation fascinating, and I hope you will, too. We did a lot of laughing. We had some disagreements, and uh, it it was just a good talk. So I think you'll enjoy Metro Council member John Delgado, who's an attorney and entrepreneur, a husband, and the thing he's most proud of, the father of a beautiful little girl. All right, really quickly here, this coming weekend, we're we're launching this show the weekend before the last Saturday and Sunday of May. this coming Sunday. Smoke' them if you got them, The fundraiser benefiting Warriors for Freedom Foundation at ben seventy seven Bistro in Perkins Row. Hopefully, you are planning on attending. Uh, We're going to have just a great time out there. Cigars, bourbon, whiskey, even if you're not a cigar person, you can come out, you can have a great time enjoying the conversation, the camaraderie, talking with military veterans. If you are not one, if you are a military veteran, a chance to mingle with your comrades. It's just we did it last year and it's just a good Good atmosphere, and it's Ben Seventy Seven Bistro in Perkins Row. We're encouraging people to buy your tickets. You can get them at Ben Seventy Seven right now. You can get them at Don Juan Cigar Company. You can get them at Doe's Eat Place in Baton Rouge. My buddy Scott Overby's place, steak restaurant, and he get her. He gets it done over there, man. I was going to say he gets her done. He he really, really does. And Scott's a great guy. I need to get him on here too to talk about uh, the proper way to make a steak. Everybody's got their own ideas, and we can talk with Scotty about that. Let's see. uh, Pest Stop, do-it-yourself pest control on O'Neill Lane. John Conroy and his crew over there are selling tickets for us, and 100% of the proceeds, all of the money, goes to Warriors for Freedom Foundation, the Louisiana chapter, benefiting our military heroes. I think it's a great cause. Learn more at warriorsforfreedomlouisiana.org. Warriorsforfreedomlouisiana.org. Thank you for continuing to hit that subscribe button on iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, you can get to the show via our uh, website, podcast225.com. You can also contact me there. There's a web. There's a contact button, clay at podcast225.com. I answer every email. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Clay Young BR and on Facebook. So here comes John Delgado, Baton Rouge City Councilman, businessman, and all around personality. As you will hear for yourself, he's next on The Clay Young Show.
0: This time of the year is great for our family. It's getting warmer, so there are more things to do outside. We love watching our kids play in the yard. What we don't like is having to treat our kids for fire ant or mosquito bites. My husband doesn't like waiting around, so he goes to Pest Stop. At Pest Stop, we can get the same stuff the pros use, and our home, our yard, and gardens are good to go. That means no ants, no mosquitoes, no termites, no spiders, and no regrets. We save time and money, and we don't have to go to the big box stores. Do what we do. Treat your home, yourself, with the products at Pest Stop. You won't regret it.
1: Here's Pest Stop founder John Conroy to tell you where you can find one of the stores. Well, in Metairie, we're at 3512 Severn Avenue next to the Pepper Mill On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's in the same shopping center as Sherwin-Williams. On the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. And in Baton Rouge, we're at 806 O'Neill Lane. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. All right, here we are with Metro Council member John Delgado here on the Clay Young Show. Well, John, how's it going? It's
0: going great. Thanks for having me on.
1: First thing, the most important thing, uh, you know, you've, you're all over Facebook talking about that beautiful baby girl of yours. How is she?
0: She is wonderful. Just turned two years old. Um, just the, the love of my life.
1: Well, uh, You know, man, that's kids kind of center you on what's most important and what's totally unnecessary.
0: Absolutely. You know, before we had her, we lived a life for ourselves. Right. And, and now... Ourselves are gone, and it's all about Lucy.
1: Yeah, but the older they get, the more you want to get back to that life, you know, <laughs> where you can do date nights and things like that. So let's talk about it. Where, where did you grow up? Where are you, where are you originally from?
0: So I was born and raised in Baton Rouge. Um, my family came here uh, in the 1960s from okay. Cuba, mm-hmm. um, and I grew up uh, basically right down the street from where we're taping this. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I grew up in, in the Oak Hills area. And uh, went to Catholic High, graduated in 92, went to LSU after that, and then uh, did a a, a brief tour down New Orleans for three years. I went to Tulane Law School, and then I came back here to practice law. I always wanted to live in Baton Rouge, um, and uh, and, and, and so I have for the last
1: 20 years. So what do you think about Baton Rouge? You've got uh, Cuban parents who came in here really in the 60s, so that's kind of at the height of what what was happening with Fidel Castro over in Cuba, and some of that's coming full circle with today's news. I'll ask you about that, too, but what what was their impression of Baton Rouge, or did they talk with you about that?
0: Oh, of course. I mean, I grew up uh, both having that background from Cuba and and that being part of my, my culture, but also my upbringing in the sense that we were raised uh, to be very uh, – very appreciative of the things that this country and this community, particularly in Baton Rouge, has done for us. Sure. Um, the, uh, my family uh, came here, uh, my uncle went to law school with Castro, okay? Really? And, uh, and they hated each other. So the day, January 2nd, Castro took Havana on January 1st, 1959. The very next day, my uncle, who was an attorney, uh, boarded a plane uh, and flew to New Orleans, which was like the first flight out he could get. Wow. And uh, so they ended up—the family ended up coming to Baton Rouge. They got jobs—some uh, of them got a job at LSU. My uncle ended up—that particular uncle ended up teaching yeah. Spanish at LSU. He couldn't sure. practice law in, in, right. in the United States, but he ended up teaching Spanish at LSU. Um, my mother came here uh, to start school at LSU. Um, my family, many of them, I, I always—any chance I get to, to credit the Sternbergs who owned uh Gachas. right. What they did for my family is just – there's no way that I could ever show them my full gratitude. Yeah. But what they did for my family, they gave them all jobs. Yes. Everyone in my family, in one yes. way or another, has worked at the Gatchas, um, and the, the Gatchas on Main Street.
1: And there's a huge – well, I don't, I don't want to say huge, but there's a relatively substantial Cuban population in the area.
0: Yeah, and I think that part of it was – Especially Catholic,
1: in New Orleans, too. In yeah. New Orleans, too. Well, yeah. you know
0: – Keep in mind, a lot of people always assume that, that, that Cuba had this connection with Miami, but historically, mm-hmm. Miami, well, Miami didn't exist. I mean, Miami right. only came into being in the in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. So the history was always the connection between New Orleans and and Havana in terms of travel. Um,
1: with the large ports being there and everything. Yeah. Right.
0: And actually, I mean, my, oh, I don't know, great, great whatevers uh, all went to Tulane, studied pharmacy at Tulane. They own pharmacies in mm-hmm. Cuba, Um and so they, um, they, they had a very close connection with New Orleans already and with Louisiana. Um, and there is a, a sizable community here. Um, that that has kind of grown up. The church, uh, the Catholic Church here, sure. was very instrumental in that as well.
1: Quickly uh, about Castro, you know, there was there was so much fanfare about him early on because he was a master communicator. He was fiery, and people believed he was going to be an agent of change. Sure. Well, he ultimately was an agent <laughs> yeah. of change, just from bad to worse. Right. Indeed. <laughs> so, what about that? What stories did you hear about that? Because he was such a a, a magnetic personality historically, and then he just turned out to be a smooth butcher.
0: Sure, I mean what Castro said to the Cuban people before he he took power was "soy tan verde como las palmas," which is "I'm as green as the palms." Mm-hmm. the The opposite of being red and, and being socialist or communist, right, right? right? So, so he portrayed himself as 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 a Cuban, not as not a socialist, not a Marxist, not associated with with the, the Soviet regime. And so for him to then turn around and and, and basically betray all of those people, I think that that's when, I mean, that's really when people started leaving, when they realized, no, no, this guy is not a, um, this is is not a democratic revolution. Right. Um, The other thing that I think people uh, kind of who aren't Cuban or, or don't necessarily know the history don't realize that Cuba had had, you know, all these kind of, ups and downs and military coups, yeah. and Bat- Batista, yeah. who was the previous That's uh, right. uh, ruler, had taken over in a military coup. That's right. And everyone kind of expected that, you know, just like we have elections in this country, well, they would have coups over there. Mm-hmm. They would have, you know, and then they'd have another, then they'd have an election again, and then they'd have another coup, and then they, so they were very accustomed to their leaders changing.
1: But we, we assisted, in, um, America did, in the ascension of Castro.
0: We assisted in the ascension of Batista. Um, in Castro, we didn't we didn't kill him when we had a chance. Yes. But they didn't. The United States didn't necessarily support Castro or oppose Castro. They just kind of took a hands off approach. That's
1: right. Well, maybe that's a better word. We didn't assist. We allowed it to happen. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of like the Saddam Hussein thing, where that was a little different because he was an ally at one time, but we let. As bad as it was, we let it get worse. And then by the time it got out of hand, look at look at the havoc that's been (laughs) kind of brought on us by not nipping that in the bud.
0: It really should be a a, a lifelong lesson for our our country. And and when we say we don't want to engage in foreign policy making and we don't want to go out there and and interfere in other people's Mm -hmm. uh, regimes and affairs. That's really, we do ourselves a disservice as a country.
1: Well, you know know the saying, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. So coming here to America, you know, Catholic upbringing here in the quintessential southern town with great food. I always say Baton Rouge has some of the best of New Orleans without some of the worst of New Orleans. Absolutely. You know, it's got some of the food and the camaraderie, but the population has not. We could say that before, maybe not now, but the population didn't bring some of the big city trouble that we've seen before coming up here, going to LSU, getting your law degree. What was, what was the engine that drove your passion?
0: I guess, again, I would attribute it to my family and my upbringing. I was always taught that, you know, basically at any point in time, anything that you have can be taken away from you, except what's in your head. And so I always, you know, strive to, to, to do well in school, to learn, to educate myself, because the reason that my family was able to come here and be, be successful, even though that they went from being millionaires they lost everything in the revolution. They came here with a suitcase of clothes. And, so your family and was affluent
1: else. in Cuba.
0: Oh yes, very well, very much. What, so.
1: what was their What was their business? So on
0: one side, they owned a and I, I say pharmacies, and I think that that's a bad. Uh, back then, pharmacies were compound pharmacies. Right. They actually made um, the pharmaceuticals. You didn't have many like, yeah. drug companies. Sure. They actually made them, and so uh, they had a chain of compound pharmacies throughout the island. Um, and they—that uh, was on one side of the family, and the other side, that was I think equally wealthy, uh, had farmland, sugarcane, cattle.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's where the entrepreneurial spirit comes from, I would imagine.
0: I, I suppose I, I think that uh, you know I've always been taught to you know you can do anything that you set your mind to, and you have to work hard, and 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 really that work ethic. There, there's something to be said about a Cuban work ethic. That, yeah, you know you um, there's a reason that in this country, if you look at you know the, the Hispanic population, Cubans tend to be among the most successful. It's, Why is that? I think in part it's the it's a refugee mentality. You're mm-hmm. coming here. You have to you have to do everything twice as much as twice as hard as anybody else does. You you come here. You don't know the language. You don't you don't have any, any contacts. You don't have any family here. You have to work twice as hard as everybody else does. And I think that that's, a, that's an ethic that gets passed on to your children.
1: I had a young lady who did voice work for me years ago. Her name was Elizabeth, and, and she was Hispanic. And we had a conversation about culture, right? And I generally, when I talk with people, especially, you know, under my employee, I, I kind of keep an open line of dialogue to where I don't do politically correct anyway. <laughs> well, who the hell am I telling? <laughs> but I But I don't do that anyway. But I generally like to have honest conversations about things. And I asked her, I said, you know, there is this, this, um, I didn't use the word stereotype. I used a different word cause I didn't mean it as a stereotype or, or this belief about Hispanics, about the sticking together and all, and, and, you know, in one place and the way that, that all of that works. And she said to me, she said, well, that's interesting. she said, if your mother or if your brother, if you had a brother, I'm an only child, if, if your brother was in dire straits financially, um, and they needed your help, would you help them And I said, yeah, of course. She said, why? I said, well, because, you know, it's my mother or it will be my brother. She said, wrong. She said, where I come from, it's not just something you do as a familial gesture. It's your responsibility. You are responsible by law for (laughs) one another. So in that culture, it is ingrained upon you or or in, in you that your survival is almost symbiotic with your family. You take care of one another. You protect one another. You push one another. You work together. And what I earn, we earn. And I thought that was fascinating. What do you Absol- think about that?
0: Absolutely. I mean, if you, just to, to put it in perspective for you, when, when my family, uh, growing up, we lived, my aunt, two aunts and uncles lived one street over from us. Okay. Uh, so that's two houses. And then my grandparents lived down the street from me. And then my mother and I, lived in a house. So, so we had four family households within a neighborhood of maybe a hundred total houses right there off of Segan and Perkins. That's, yeah. that's where I grew up. Right. And so, um, the idea of sticking together absolutely is part of, I don't know, if, I guess, I suppose all Hispanic cultures, but, um, but particularly Cuban cultures. And I think sure. again, it's, it's, you're coming here, you don't have anybody but each other. And it's funny to think that in, in the United States, when, you know, we're talking about Lucy and, I, you know, I was shudder to think that when she's eighteen, but like many American kids, when you're eighteen you're ready to move out of the house, you're ready to do your own thing. That's unheard of in Hispanic culture. That that is just that's crazy. Explain. You wouldn't move out of the house until you were married. Oh, you wouldn't move out of the house. And, t- and even then, and, and you weren't, ex- but you weren't expected to, not only are you not expected to, you would, you would be expected to stay, you're expected to stay at home to help your family to to, to support huh. your family. So the idea that when you're 18, you're now independent. And, you know, I, I hear I hear parents saying, Oh, my kids are off the payroll, they're 18. Now, that's that, that's just anathema to, to, to how I was raised. I, I was, you know, uh, my sister lives two doors down from my mother right now. I mean, that's in right. you no know, kills. And so to me, uh, the idea that, that that she, you know, she moved away, but she moved, you know, a, 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 a one house over. Well,
1: when you think about that, uh, kind of juxtapose yeah, and that. And she didn't
0: move out until she graduated law school and got married. And so she was 20, 24, 25 years old. Well, when juxtapose she moved
1: out. that to all that we hear about you know, the way we raise our kids. And I, I think societally we, we coddle kids maybe a little bit more than we should. And I mean coddling to the degree that we don't, we never let them understand the pain of losing or the impact of losing. And I think for a child it's very important that they understand what losing feels like, mm-hmm. so that they can have a true appreciation for real winning. Yeah, and I do think I do think we should push them to where they can stand on their own two feet and be uh, independently functional. But what you're saying is, if I understand you, is that in, with family, we hang on or, or we stick together until you are ready to go and repeat this on your own in your own house.
0: And, and moreover, you you stick together beyond that. It, okay. you, you never leave your family. Sure. You know, family's the most important thing. You know, I can quote The Godfather for you, but, the, you know, but the, <laughs> that would be okay if the, you but did. The, but the point is that you know, to, to say that you know your the idea of leaving your family because you want to get away from them right. is is so counter to the culture that i grew up in. Then why
1: in. do you think that culture exists? Because it does.
0: It does, and i think that it, i think it happened in the united states sometime in the 1950s and 60s mm-hmm. where the you saw the breakdown of the nuclear you saw the breakdown of the family and it became these these kind of nuclear units and then it it went on from there to where, you know, the the parents i think it comes quite honestly from a bit of selfishness in the sure. parents that they, you know, we talked about this earlier that once, you know, once lucy's 21, mm-hmm. you know, we can go back to doing right. our own thing and thinking right. about ourselves, yeah. and again that's that's just not how I was raised. so to me it's I'm never going to stop thinking about my daughter right and 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 her children and sure. her you know to me, it's always about the family.
1: what about relationally as you know as fathers we we are protectors, providers, the whole thing, uh, the relationship between men and women in an American mainstream society versus the way that you were raised, like I do believe that in a, in a marriage a husband and wife, they have similar roles, but sometimes, but also their roles are different. And I often say this to guys, it's like, if you're in a situation where it's like, it's 50, 50 every way. Well, if somebody's clanging around in the kitchen at one thirty in the morning, you hear some noise. If you nudge your wife and say, Hey, go see who that is. <laughs> she's going to go, wait a minute. That's your job. You go do it. So let's not talk about how there are no responsibilities. But What do you think about that?
0: Sure. Absolutely. I mean, the- there is going to be a separation of efforts in any relationship, uh, and I think that— Now, that thats of course,
1: If you're married to Ronda Rousey, you send her into the kitchen, but go ahead.
0: <laughs> and look, my wife can pro- probably <laughs> handle herself, too, but, uh, but she'd be the first one to grab the gun and go downstairs. <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, I think that, that you're still thinking of it in terms of a, a family—you're thinking of a family unit as the two parents and, a, and children—
1: I mean, in, in I know a, not just a, that. I mean, overall. I mean, the, the 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 matriarch, the patriarch, on down. The you know the 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 grand great grandfather, great grandmother, on down, and the the roles that that kids get or that they learn from watching, you know, mom and and dad. And, I, I think
0: again, growing up that I, the way that I did in in, in a, you know, I learned Spanish first. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I I didn't speak English until mm-hmm. I started school. I grew up. Um, with this large extended family that, you know, my grandparents and my great uncles and, and, and family members, we always did everything together. So it wasn't the idea of children have to respect their parents. It was children have to respect their families. And everybody contributed. Everybody helped everybody out. If someone's, you know, they, they didn't have lawn mowers for every house. You know, they had one lawnmower. They shared the lawnmower. Wow. Um They, you know, because again, I grew up poor. I mean, we, yeah. we grew up in, in, in not a great neighborhood, and not a, you know, uh but we worked very, very hard. And I think that again, that's kind of, it's just kind of part of my my my, my, my ethic now that I always feel like, you know, it's why I have all the jobs and sure. all the hats that I sure, wear because sure. I always work hard and believe that that's the key to success. Well, let me
1: ask you about that. I mean, we'll get to so many other things, but I think, you know, we've had conversations before, but never being able to really sit and just kind of spin the yarn like this. So I'm enjoying it. Um, I get where you are about, about businesses and, and, and doing as much as you can and maximizing the 24. And that's the number of hours you sure. get in the day. I detest sleep so often sometimes, <laughs> but, but you have to do it. But it's like you don't want to. It's a necessary evil. It's, it is a necessary evil. So for the family unit that you're talking about, extended family, okay, John Delgado, uh, an attorney, metro council member. You own three bars, and one's on the way.
0: One's on the way. We've got a restaurant we're working on. We've restaurant got a you're working other, on. A couple of other ideas too.
1: So what is the reaction in your inner circle of family to your successes?
0: Um, uh, always very positive. And again, I think we we share in those successes in sure. a lot of ways. Um, you know, whenever we have. Uh, it's a silly example, but if we have a, a, a band playing at Huey's, I may not even post it on my Facebook, but my mother will see it, and she'll post it on hers, or my sister will see it, and she'll post it on hers. And it's, again, it's just trying to help each other out. My sister's an attorney also, so between the two of us, we refer cases to each other. We, we always help each other out. It's, it's just part of the way we are.
1: When you look at other cultures, mm-hmm. specifically black people in America and, okay. and the way the families go, and uh, in, in black communities, there is so much crime. And this cycle goes on, where uh, some young boys, thugs—I can call them thugs. Look it up in the dictionary. It's not a racial. It's not a racist racial slur. It's a word.
0: If it is, it's about Indian people. Not. W-
1: <laughs> so if 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 you look up, uh, if you look into these communities and you see, okay, a young man shoots someone, and the police arrest him. Hiller's office wants to prosecute him, but the neighbors in the community didn't see anything. It Mm -hmm. could be in broad daylight when everyone's outside, when the police go to question the neighbors, nobody saw anything Sure, because of this quote unquote, no snitching thing. And so now the DA's case is not really as strong as he would like it to be. And maybe this kid gets a short ride instead of a long one he deserves. He's back on the street. The other side of it is some person in the neighborhood decides to speak up. It gets back to this little fool that this happened. And, they find their front door kicked in or one of their relatives assaulted or something like that. That stuff goes on. I know it's uncomfortable for people to talk about, but it's the truth. It happens. When you look at that, are are similar circumstances happening within what you would consider your quote unquote community? Uh, And tell me about that. And then what is your reaction to this stuff that happens like this in our town?
0: I I can't say that it happens within the Cuban community because it's not that because it's just geographically, we don't have the size. It's not it's not that big a community, and we're much more spread out throughout the city. So it's not like you have a Cuban enclave. But not just
1: Baton Rouge, but just as you understand it in the Cuban community as a whole.
0: Well, yeah, I think that it happens in every in every class in every mm-hmm. community. And the reason is, quite frankly, I think crime is always going to happen more um, ethnically, racially, geographically. The more you have in common, the more likely you are to commit crimes against sure. each other. It's a sad fact of life, but. You know you're going to commit a crime more likely within your uh, within your neighborhood area within your city than you are going to go to Memphis right now sure. and go rob a, a, a liquor store and come sure. back to Baton Rouge. That's that, that's unheard of, right? So you're much more likely to to work or commit crimes within your own area. And so if your area is populated, which generally is populated with people of your same mm-hmm. ethnic background, you're more likely to commit crimes against them. Um, so you'll always see that. You will always see that. You see that in the Cuban community. You see it in Miami. You see it in, in, in the Black communities here in Baton Rouge or yeah. in New Orleans. Yeah. You'll you'll always see that.
1: And the shame of it is, the majority of the kids in these communities are not committing crime. Right. I know people say, well, how can you say that? It's the no, truth. No, it's, it's absolutely. I the mean, truth. I've, I've spent a lot of of hours, a lot of years of my adult life volunteering. In less fortunate communities. And I've seen the good in some of the kids. I've seen the faces of the grandparents who are raising their grandkids and great grandkids. Most of those kids are not looking to get into trouble. Unfortunately, their way out of that is so slim that they don't know any better. And I really think we ought to give these kids opportunities Absolutely. to get out of these areas, not through entitlement, but through opportunities. Because these kids are smart and they're ambitious. We just need to point them in the right direction.
0: I I agree with you. And and the word opportunity was what I was thinking as you were speaking, that that, that's what's lacking, I think, so much in in, in certain areas and certain communities, that they just don't have the opportunity to to really step up and step out of those communities and and, and better themselves. Um, I think that's, it's incumbent on us as as, as citizens and on us as a talking now about elected officials sure. to to provide those opportunities cuz I think that's where where we are really doing ourselves and our entire city a disservice. The, we're never going to stop crime if if we don't provide opportunities.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the, you you arrest the most people where people have the least. And it's not just Baton Rouge, it's around our country. Yeah. But I just think that we we really should give these kids an opportunity to do for themselves. I think that the the easiest way to keep someone from looking for a handout is to have their, have their lives pointed in a direction to where they're doing for themselves.
0: I think we need to look when we talk about crime, we need to look at it in terms of crime is like a disease. Yeah. And by arresting people, you are attacking the symptoms of a disease, but you're not attacking the cause.
1: I would agree with that.
0: And so if you, it's fine and obviously necessary. You're going oh, to, absolutely. You need to arrest people, <laughs> no, no question doubt. about it. But you're never going to actually reduce right. your crime rate right. unless you improve the situation that the criminals are coming out of. And that's to be done by improving the education that's system good. That's and, by providing, and by providing job opportunities. So that's where
1: I was going. So there's so much to, to get to, and, and we, we're, we will do it in our conversation, but let's start there. You've been outspoken about the city of St. George and what's happening with that and what could happen. All of that started with a debate over the school system in East Baton Rouge Parish. Um, it was a discussion over a, for those of you listening in other places, we have parishes here, not counties. So in East Baton Rouge Parish or county, depending on you know, how you would look at it, the southeastern part of our parish, uh, is what is considered unincorporated. So it's it's kind of a different way Baton Rouge just you, you think of it. We have a parish council that governs the entire parish. That's also kind of doubles as our Baton Rouge city council. Yes. And there is the city of Baton Rouge in East Baton Rouge Parish, and then outside of the city limits, we call that the unincorporated. Part of the parish. Now, I'm sure that I have confused the hell out of you. And if I have, I guess I just did my job. So I'm sure you can post a map. <laughs> we, can, we, we will post a map or something. But the unincorporated area, the part that's not a part of the city, people there in the, in the southeastern part of the parish said, we want to create our own school district. They went through the process, consulted with another part of the parish that had done that before. And they went to the legislature and they were told You know, if you guys want to do this, if you're serious, you'll become a city. Come back to us when you do that. So then the movement starts to do that, to become a city. And it has brought about intense debate on both sides of the lines. I mean, racially, economically, just politically, so many things and you have been very outspoken. So let me ask you straight up: what? And I want, and I want, to, don't want to interrupt you when you answer. Why are you against it?
0: Okay, great question. So let's start with the premise of the question. Okay, the premise of the question was that the southeast part of the parish wanted to create a school system. That's not accurate. Okay, the idea to create a school system was really in a narrow triangle that exists between Interstates ten and twelve. Mm-hmm. That was going to be called the Southeast School District, yes. but would not have included anything effectively south of Interstate 10, which is a, a large swath of the, of the parish. Okay, And if, in terms of for the proposed city of St. George, yes. it's more than half of the proposed city. So they would have not been included in this, in this school district that they were trying to create. Um, it's also inaccurate to say that the legislature said, become a city and then we will give you a school district there are thousands and thousands of cities in in louisiana there's only five cities that actually have school districts okay the all other school districts in the state of louisiana are by county or parish um we only have the 64 parish school districts plus five cities that have school districts we have 69 school districts Mm -hmm. in the state of louisiana so it's it's not fair to say that if you become a city you get a school district. I just want to make sure that people understand. But, that, that but that's
1: what. But that's what the the proponents of the move were saying. That they were that they, they were asked by members of the legislature mm-hmm. to incorporate. That they wouldn't support this. That you know, go to the uh, create your own city. Do what Central did. Sure.
0: And and again, I think that uh, I think that you're I think that you're maybe taking what they're hope is that if they create a city, they'll have a stronger case to create a school district. But it's not fair to say that anyone in the legislature actually said, said that they had to do go that. out and do this and you have to do it this way. The, for example, Daryl Orso right now in this session, I don't know where I haven't tracked the bill right now, but he's trying to create a, a system where you can create independent school districts that mm-hmm. are. Um, and if you're listening from Texas, there's lots of that. Texas has. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thousands of independent absolutely. school districts. Um and that's what the Darryl Orso's bill is. Um that bill would allow for the creation of, of a Southeast school district sure. without sure. the incorporation of the city. Yeah. Um there's my to to answer your question, why am I so against it? Well, okay. The creation of a city of St. George, I'm I'm a hundred percent against. Okay. And I can't understand, I really don't understand what the rationale behind it is other than this. I I think it's a throwaway argument that if we create a city, we'll get a school district. But that's the only. But that's rational, what they're saying. I understand, yeah. but that, and that's the only <laughs> rational component right. to to the argument of because I think that to create a school district, um, I think that I can I can empathize. I can understand the desire, the the uh, the idea of hey, we want what's best for our kids. We want to give them the best education possible, and we think that the Eastbound Ridge Parish School System is doing a, a not a good job. Okay. Uh, we're not satisfied with the education system there, with the public education system, so we have to send our kids to private school and we're spending all this money where we could be spending it, sending them to to a public school that's a good system. So I understand that rationale. I understand that thinking. The idea of creating a city I do not understand and, 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 and completely disagree with, but let's take the creation of a school district, okay? Why would we be opposed to creating a school district? Well, the idea that it's okay if my kids and get, get a great education, but a kid a block over doesn't because he doesn't live in this school district. I think that's a bad idea. I think it's a dangerous precedent to set. I think what you're saying is I don't really care about my neighbors. And, again, maybe it comes back from my mindset as, as, as somebody who grew up, and we talked about the, the idea of these extended families and, and, and our responsibilities not only to ourselves, to our children, to our parents, to our extended families and then to our greater community, that that's how I was raised and that's what I believe. I think that when we when we abdicate our responsibility for what our neighbors or uh, how our neighbors are being treated and what their education is, um, I think that it does us a disservice. Let me let me just be frank. If you have a bunch of stupid kids over here and you have a bunch of really educated kids over here, the stupid kids are going to rob and hurt the smart kids because they they're the ones who have the money they, they you know poor people don't steal from other poor people they'll go steal from the guy who has the money they'll go steal the tv from the guy who has the tv they
1: steal from each other and, too
0: <laughs> sure but but at the end of the day they're they're only they're, they're stealing things they're, sure. they're they're taking things so it doesn't benefit me to be to have a million dollar house if my neighbor's house is a crack house yeah. okay that's going to hurt my property value that's right. going to hurt me right. you know i don't want to look out at that yard so i'm going to i want to help raise my neighbor up and the idea of this school system as they had initially proposed it was to say, okay, we're going to basically siphon off a, a small chunk of the population, 15% of the population, but we're taking with it 30% of the tax dollars that are being used right now to fund the EBR school system. So by taking a small sector of the population and a significant sector, sector of the tax base, you are may be able to create a, a working school system system, for those small sector of kids, but you're doing a huge disservice to the greater community. Now, as a parent of a two-year-old child who's going to start school soon, I can understand the idea well, I don't really care about those other people's kids. I only care about my kid. I get that. But I think we need to be a little bit more farsighted. I think that it's important, sure, to give our children, our individual children, the best of everything and the best education possible. But I think it's very short-sighted to say, and I don't care about those other kids. So... I think that with everything that's been done and all the time and effort and energy that's been spent on this effort to create a school system and a city of St. George, I really think that that effort should have been placed on bettering the school system in EBR. Um, right now, and I'm only because I'm on the radio with you am I blanking on the gentleman's name. Who,
1: Warren Drake.
0: Warren Drake. Thank you. I appreciate yes. it, Clay. Warren Drake's been selected to be the EBR uh, school president yeah
1: superintendent superintendent yeah. and formerly of Zachary
0: he was the founder of the Zachary school say founding superintendent for yes. the Zachary school system and yes. I think we can all agree that Zachary school system is, is a good stellar best in the state um, and to have him coming now to EBR um, and, and I will tell you because I've, I've spoken to the man he does not support the idea of creating a separate school system for for the you know, for the residents in the southeast part of the parish, he believes that he can fix the existing school system and give a quality education to all the kids in the parish. Um, and he understands that the creating a separate school system would do a disservice to the parish as a whole.
1: Okay, so uh, so many things there. Uh, first up, the because I, I didn't I mentioned it and I didn't give you a chance to kind of elaborate, but I'll just mention the swath of school district between the the I ten and the I twelve mm-hmm. was the initial part of the plan Correct. and the redraft, it included all of the incorporated area that that would include Gardeer, but brings about quite, Gardeer uh, Lane is an area, kind of a lower income part of Baton Rouge for those of you who don't know, but there would have to be the construction of schools. But let's go back to some of what you talked about. I think perspective on why you feel the way you do, uh, some of that is granted by what you said about your upbringing, just listening to it and then making that connection. But you said fix the school system and not caring about your neighbors. You and I know Mm -hmm. that we have three Baton Rouges. We've got North Baton Rouge. Okay, and depending on perspective, North Baton Rouge could and because North Baton Rouge never means Zachary and Central. Right. It only means (laughs) Scotlandville and those areas. Right. Even though Zachary
0: and Central are Are, north of what we're talking about, North Baton Rouge.
1: And then there is that. And I'm going to put them together. Uh, Actually, actually, I'm just going to say there are four Baton Rouge. There's downtown Baton Rouge. Right. The downtown area is is Davis Roar is almost the mayor of downtown Baton Rouge. All right. And, And that's mostly a business district anyway, right. not highly residential. And then there is the middle of the city, mm-hmm. right? And of course, in their Southeast Baton Rouge. Depending on where you are in the city, the personality is different. Now, that's not unique to us. They're, you know, the same is true in LA, Miami, New York, sure. you know? So when you say improve the school system, let me ask. If you're in Southeast Baton Rouge and the school system isn't working for you, and you've got a kid, not the politicians, not the wonks, and you are just a parent working every day and you see the violence, you see what's happening in the school. Why should you wait?
0: Sure. Well, you're going to have to wait one way or another. And I think that's the that's the honest answer. OK, um, anyone who tells you that tomorrow you create a school system and you flip a switch and all of a sudden now you you can put your kid. in No, that's school, not true. That, that's just simply not true. If you created the school system out of the proposed area that they're calling St. George. If you create a school system out of there, you are short desks for 7,000 students who are currently enrolled in public school in East Baton Rouge Parish. So just to address, and I'm not talking, because a lot of people in that south part of the parish send their kids to private school. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just to put the kids who are in public school already in a school in the St. George area would require the construction of at least six new schools. And I can tell you, just because I've been watching the Lehigh School construction, we all watch the Baton Rouge High School construction, it's going to take years before you physically have the room to put them in schools. Now, a significant question is, because it's going to take years, what do you do in the interim? Because once you create that school district, and it's a taxing district, okay? Mm -hmm. A school district is a taxing district. Once your property taxes are going to pay towards the new school district, you're no longer eligible to attend school in the old school district. That's right. So for two, three, four years, your kids are going to sit in T buildings, your kids, yeah. if you're lucky, yeah. okay, or tents, or, or in hallways, or I don't know where you're going to put them. Quite frankly, I, I think that there's a logistical, a significant logistical. I, issue. I there. think
1: that's a fair point because you're going to have to, you're going to have to have a place to. Quote unquote, house the kids. There's something similar happening in Pointe-Uppee Parish where they mm-hmm. closed the big school right. out there that was taken over by, I think, Advanced Baton Rouge. Now the building sits unoccupied. They moved into a, a smaller facility there, and it looks like they're going to have to move the school that they moved into into that, that uh, building, Pointe-Uppee Central, that's sitting really unoccupied right now. So, you know, this whole thing comes about the economics of it. Let's stay with the school system part of this. Sure. Uh, I think that's kind of a, a the noise has drowned out, I think, what could be honest, yet aggressive disagreement with some of the things that have gone back and forth. People in Southeast Baton Rouge have been called racists by people in the school system. All, Southeast Baton Rouge is not 100 percent white. Sure, of course. <laughs> OK, um, what about that? People saying that you're a racist, that, that you don't care about poor black kids if you want to do this.
0: Well, I think I think that when you result when you resort to that type of generalization, I think it's a bad, bad idea for any
1: argument. It's, um, it, it, no, it, you call them ta- you call them terrorists, John. <laughs> you, now, you said the Taliban. Now, you, let, you you made a comparison. You sure. didn't call them the Taliban. Sure. I think you made a comparison to the. Ta- was that a, was that a heat of the moment thing that you did? Absolutely. So, do you regret saying that?
0: Look, I'm a passionate person, and so sometimes I say passionate things. And but you don't
1: mean you don't think that they're terrorists.
0: I don't think that they're terrorists. I think that. Norm, and again, let's be real specific about who I'm talking about sure. here, okay? because I'm not talking about at all in any way, shape or form, categorically not talking about people generally who are living in the southeast part of the parish. That I'm may not be what you meant,
1: but that's how well, that's, that's it sounded when that's you how said
0: it. it. Sure. And, and that's fine. I, but I will tell you who I was talking about. Okay. okay, I was talking about Norman Browning. I was talking about Dustin Yates. I was talking about Josh Hoffpower, who are the, the incorporators of this city of St. George. And what they have done is they have scared the hell out of the people in the southeast part of the parish and sure. said, basically, everything's going to hell in a handcart and everybody's leaving the parish, even though that's not the case. The population's been stable for the last 10 years, um, or, or, g- growing and or stable for the last 10 years. The They've scared the hell out of people in order to get their way. And so that's why I call them terrorists.
1: But you don't mean terrorists. No, I don't mean that they're terror- wrapping bombs. Terror- to the terrorizing. But see, that's such an... That's such a, a, An explosive word, right now. It is a word in the dictionary. Terrorizing people, you know. But I mean, it's been so hijacked. Pardon the pun, please. (laughs) uh, It's been so hijacked by by people who have turned it into. A function of war, terrorism. So when you say that the Taliban murders people, sure. they chop heads off. Yeah. You don't mean terrorists. I don't mean that
0: they're out there chopping people's heads off. So to the people
1: off. who are who are the citizens who are pissed off at you for saying that, it said, is he calling me? Because you got some you you got some angry people at you.
0: Oh sure, and I understand that. And I but look. but
1: you didn't mean to compare them to Al Qaeda or something like that. Of course
0: not. Again, I think that. You know, I do say things in the heat of passion. I, it does not make me a very good politician. It does make me who I am, though, and I, I, I do fight for things that I believe in. And when I, when I'm fighting, I'm, I'm going to fight.
1: So, so we got that out of the way that, you know, you did, you don't think of them as terrorists, even though I think Rainey was in here a little bit and he, uh, a little bit ago, he's still pissed off at you. I'm looking forward to getting the two of y'all together. I I would love to. (laughs) So, so the, you're against the school district. And I tell you, I know Warren Drake as well, have sat with the man on a number of occasions and I know that he's got a plan. He is focused on doing the work to fix this school system. And quite frankly speaking for just me, I personally believe in the man. I think that he could do the job. I just don't think that people are going to wait.
0: Well, and, and I, I, I get you. I mean, I think either way, they're gonna, there's going to be a long way. I but mean, but
1: waiting, waiting for it's like waiting for something that you know is going to be different versus something that you hope will be different is a, is a different reality. Now, it's, it's, there's still going to be poverty in in Saint George if it happens. There's still going to be poor kids in Saint George sure. if it happens because Gardier isn't going anywhere. Parts of O'Neil Lane it's not going anywhere. But I mean, I don't know that parents who are struggling, not the ones who could just stroke the check for private school and not think about it. Right. Those who've got two and three jobs, you know, to to educate their kids. Man, I don't think you're going to get them to wait.
0: And, and, I, and you may be right. I think at the end of the day, I guess time will tell. But uh, I from talking to Warren Drake, he expressed to me that he has a hundred day plan. And in the first 100 days of his administration, you're going to see some significant changes in the EBR school system. Super and I, smart and I, guy. and I believe him. I mean, I believe I do him. Too. I think that his success in Zachary, I think, gives him a, a, an incredible gravitas that, that no one else could bring to that position. I think that he, if, if you can trust anyone in the school system, you should be able to trust him. Um, now, let, let me just go back. I, I don't want sure, to sure. leave something on the table. Mm-hmm. The, the idea that I'm against the school system, I understand the concept. I don't think it's the right way of going, but... Ultimately if we were having a vote or we were gonna put it to a vote to create a school system, I'd respect the people's right to go decide that and, 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 and make their voice heard. And I think that really quite honestly, I wish that everybody would have come to the table a whole lot earlier and said, Hey, look, this is the problem we have with the school system. Let's, I think people have been doing that. I do not I don't, I don't
1: think they had the I don't think they had the mechanism. Uh, but I, th- I know those conversations had been going on again, volunteering in areas. You hear sure. what's happening because, you know, Woodlawn High is over there. Mm-hmm. Big, gorgeous facility. My nephew graduated Brand from new. there uh, a couple days ago. And, you know, it's 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 a fairly diverse class, but there are riots over there. Yeah. A couple times a week. Yeah. And if you live out in those areas, I don't care how much money you have or what you look like. If your baby's going to a school that they're fighting at every morning, it's kind of hard to listen to, you know, uh, politicians or media people say, be patient. You're thinking, hell no, you be patient. I'm getting my kid out of there.
0: And I agree. And I think that that in a lot of ways, the EBR school system has let people down for a long time. And and I fully recognize that. One of the things we need to look at, I mean, you just have to pull your property taxes up to, to, to take a look. Oh, yeah. We spend in EBR 45 mils. Of property tax. Now a mill is, 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 is a thousandth of a cent and right. is, is assessed against your property right. value, um, but if you compare it to what they spend in Zachary or Central on their school system, in Zachary they're spending eighty mills. Mm-hmm. Okay, in Central it's eighty-five mills. Mm-hmm. They're spending almost double in property taxes what, what we are to operate their systems. So how can you expect a different result? I mean they are they have so much money. And so and so many so much more resources than we do. And the last time that it came up for a vote in EBR to raise the property taxes on the school system, I think it was in 96. It failed miserably.
1: Well, you know, you think about that period in this country and and people still in this part of the world, especially have no real interest in raising taxes. But I want to I want to ask about that. Let me push back on that just a little bit. I think you're right. We do need to be spending the money on our kids. But in EBR. The per-child number is near $12,000 per child per school year. Right. The EBR school system has a half a billion dollar a year, nearly half a billion dollar a year operating budget. That is a lot of money per child, a hell of a lot of money, you know, for an annual budget. And when you tell people that they're going... Wow, because they don't think it looks like their children are getting twelve k per, yeah, or I, that the system is a half billion dollar a year operation.
0: That's what I was about to tell you. That it's not that those kids are getting twelve thousand dollars worth of education. So those then, kids,
1: the, so what there's, about there's it? A, then there's
0: an incredibly bloated administration okay, within then. the EBR school system that needs to be addressed. I think that that's one of the first things Mr. Drake's going to handle.
1: I believe that as well. But again, that goes back to the point. Now, I don't know people talk about, but let's face it: people who own the most expensive houses people who are drawing the largest salaries are those. And who am I talking to? You got businesses, you're an earner, you know how much you pay in taxes. Now it doesn't give you the right to put your boot heel on anybody else, but you are spending a hell of a lot of money for a system that, quote unquote, you can't use. Sure, absolutely. So then what about that? Speak to those people.
0: No, I, and look, I, I agree with those people. I, I feel and empathize with those frustrations. And believe me, my property tax bills are, are, are Quite high. Um, and I don't have a child in school age yet. So I do understand where that's coming from. And, and a lot of times, I, I really just feel that there's a lot of money that's being wasted uh, in East Baton Rouge Parish. I just don't think that the solution is to to break away or create a separate school district. Quite honestly, you could have built a whole new charter school system out here in the time that all of this has taken. You've, you've spent at least people four hate year- charter
1: schools, too. At least four years. Yeah. That's yeah. a thing. I know. I know. <laughs> they they hate they- it. And charter schools, by the way, are public schools because they're using public dollars.
0: I, I had the opportunity to meet with the um, – and again, you're not going to be able to bail me out of this one. <laughs> uh, we were in, in Phoenix uh, on the Canvas trip. Uh, that that, that it's, it's a trip that local sure. t- politicians and mm-hmm. business leaders and other people go to. And we met with it's, – it's called Basis Schools. Um, and they are, I, the man's name was Peter. I just can't it on his last name. Um, he's the CEO of basis Schools. Sure. It's the number one, um, high school in America. Yeah. Okay. And actually they operate 25 charter schools. It's a charter school. Um, they take more AP classes than any other school in the United States. They have, their, their kids, uh, they have a 100% graduation rate, Wow! Um, and they are coming to Baton Rouge. They're based out of Arizona. They're coming to Baton Rouge. Their goal is to start in twenty seventeen, uh, the 2017-2018 school year.
1: So just around the corner. Uh, so
0: right around the corner yeah. with uh, at least two, if not three, facilities uh, in Baton Rouge. That would be, they are K-12 through schools, um, and they start teaching these kids Mandarin Chinese in the first grade. Wow. These kids take... Calculus or pre-calculus in the ninth grade, and which is something that in our schools, <laughs> if you're taking it, you're taking it as a senior, okay? right? Um, and, and these kids are graduate; they're taking 18 AP courses um, on average. So they they yeah. teach more, but their their average student takes 18 AP courses um, by the time they graduate high school. Wow! And so. You know there are so there are such great th- and they're doing it with the same amount of dollars because that's t- that twelve thousand dollars that that's basically what they get from mm-hmm. the state um, to teach your kids.
1: But you see that's the thing for a single mother in the inner city who's got three, four, five kids in the school system, she's got to do her part now. She's got to be a parent. And you look, I know you got five kids and you by yourself, but you know nobody told you to have all those babies. You got to go. <laughs> you got to take care of them. Right. But what she is owed by way of the way the system works is a quality education opportunity for her kids. Now, they have to seize the opportunity, but it should be there. But when we hear about fascinating stories about these school systems and these uh, schools in other states who are doing these dynamic things and you're thinking, well, hell, their budget is not larger than or sometimes not even as large as ours. Right. Why do we have buildings that look the way they look here? Yeah. Why do we have why don't we have smart boards in every classroom? Yeah. And it's like that's that's one of the things that makes you just shake your head, right?
0: Oh look at the end of the day, you could take the kids in, in I don't know what the best private high school is in, in Baton Rouge, but you take the kids I went to Catholic High, so I'm gonna pick on the kids in Catholic <laughs> High. You take the guys from Catholic High and you send them over to Capitol sure. and you try to educate them just same teachers, same kids, same everything. Try to educate them within that physical plant. Sure, you'll fail every it's time. Different. It's different.
1: Absolutely,
0: it's impossible.
1: So then, you know, and and Drake is going to do something about it. I think we've talked about that. There'll be more discussion when we have Lionel Rainey uh, here on the show. I'm looking forward to that. I think you guys will have a good civil dialogue, and if it's not civil, well, it'll make for even more people listening to the show. <laughs> Cats. The Capital Area Transit System. Yes. Come on, Delgado. Okay. Well, what's what's, the, what's your beef with cats, man? Well, uh,
0: so yesterday, perfect perfect example. Uh, yesterday, um, they are bringing to the board. I think it's coming up to. Um, it was either coming up, and I'm sorry.
1: Excuse me for people listening in other parts. Cats uh, is the bus company for the city of Baton Rouge, and I guess really the parish, but that's kind of kind of contracted now based upon attacks from a couple of years ago. Yeah, sort cause, of because it doesn't technically include Zachary and Central, which are cities in, in East Baton Rouge Parish, right? Because they didn't right.
0: Although the Cats bus does run through yes. Zachary, and it actually runs all the way down to uh, right where we're downtown
1: at. Baton Rouge. Here, um, excuse me, uh, Southeast Baton Rouge. Uh, near... Even, the though they, even though they
0: don't pay the tax out here either. So, so,
1: but but that's that's when I say CATS, the Capital Area Transit System bus company in Baton Rouge. Please continue.
0: So to to give you okay, just the the latest in another misstep by 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 Mr. Mirabito and the CATS board. They are now seeking to uh, add six uh, buses that they're going to lease. Uh, for a period of six months, the refurbished buses, they're going to lease because they are so uh, far back in having the number of buses in service that they need to have. They've basically acknowledged that nearly all of the buses, except for the ones that they just recently purchased, nearly all of the buses in the system are at their e- effective end of life. Okay? So, now, let's go back. This tax was passed, what, three years ago? Yes. And Mr. Mirabito has been there for two years? And thereabouts, yeah, two and years, two years, God, two years. This summer, because his, his contract just got renewed. Yeah. In fact, for, yeah. because of all of his excellent performance over there. And <laughs>
1: what? Come on with the sarcasm. So, Bill so, so here is the
0: thing. So, so here is the thing. He, just yesterday, they are asking for six, but for six buses to be leased because it's a stopgap measure until they get a long-term plan for bus replacement. Yes, it's been two years. You had two years to create a long-term plan you can't create a long-term plan in two years you need to go but you uh, but you
1: but you admit there have been a great number of fires at the agency now for about a six seven month period I worked with them on public relations to try to help craft a message and I tell everybody the same thing tell the truth so. If you tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. Exactly. And so it's like, but you have to you have to use strategy with public relations, but you don't want to lie because if you get caught, that fire will burn the forest down. It's just the way it works. Right. And so, and I took some heat from people. I was like, what the hell am I getting targeted from, you know, for, but a mutual friend of, of, of ours, another council member, and I had an argument at the downtown at a place it's like, what the hell are you doing, man? Do you know how many, anyway, I won't get to make it, make it about me, but- I know that there were a lot of fires that he had to put out. When he got into the place, he called in the district attorney for East Baton Rouge Parish. He called in the legislative auditor. He had them come in to go through the books to see what was broken so he could fix it. That took a while. That's a hell of a thing for a CEO to do days after you take a job. The bus fleet over there. I mean, I'm waiting on seeing a bus going down the road with a bus driver's left leg out of it. Pushing along yeah. like a frigging scooter. Oh I mean, look! Buses—they're in, in—they're in bad shape.
0: They're—they're they're driving. They're filling up with smoke uh, as they're driving. Mean, it's not it's not even a joke. Uh, literally, the buses—the—the yeah. the, the, the fumes are coming into the into the bus from underneath. And so, and what do you want with, him to do? Come up with a plan. That's what he gets paid to do. This should have been put in place years ago. Okay, when when he came in the first again, we are talking about Warren Drake in the first hundred days. The first hundred days, he was fumbling around looking for a light switch. And I think that that he has now led this system for two years and. They still don't have a long-term plan for the bus fleet, and I just think that's ridiculous. I mean, I, I, it, and again, you go around, go around town, you see they put up ten bus shelters, fourteen bus shelters. I think they've gotten up new bus shelters. It's been two years. All these things were in the initial report card that that they came out with when they when they said this is the plan.
1: This is before him.
0: This though. is before him. Yeah. This is the plan. This is what the bus system's going to do. So pass this huge tax that they passed, and we will do all of these things and people who supported the tax people who didn't support the tax at the end of the day they look back and they say this is what we were told we would have by now and it is nowhere near done
1: so if he says i want to i want to buy 15 new buses for whatever they cost, I would imagine several million dollars. What do you think? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm spitballing. I don't okay. know what the cost of a bus is. Let's say it's several hundred thousand dollars. I mean, the bus has got to be, you know, more than a century, more than a hundred thousand dollars, I would imagine. A yeah, piece. yeah, I think a so, bus
0: is probably like in the 250. Race. So
1: so if he comes to the public and, and says we're going to do this and it's going to be several million dollars, several could be five or six or whatever. What do you think the reaction here is going to be?
0: And they're going to put them in service. I think yeah. the reaction will be very positive. Well, I, when I he did that before,
1: he brought in I think ten brand new buses, and he right. had those blue buses that are just Become atrocious, horrible looking. Yeah. And and you know there is some some pushback from that. So your gripe is we're going to see a plan to address the bus situation where the plan you're you're saying the plan should have existed some time ago
0: sure i mean they're still talking about this this is a they're leasing buses for six months until they can put a plan together for for long term uh for the long term of the fleet and i just don't get that i i don't see how it's taken now two years you know it's going to take another half a year to to come up with a plan you know this they should have but here's why no one in the cats administration has any experience with the transit system except for what they've learned while working at CATS. No experts. Well, that's not
1: true. There are people there. There's people there who have uh, currently now who've worked with other transit companies with with the the contract that's brought in.
0: Okay. So only with the contracted COO that was brought in, that's that's the one who was brought in to have some experience. But he wasn't – this is not a person. I mean, I guess it is a person. But it's a company that was hired to provide a board member – two cats to give them some experience because otherwise they didn't have any experience. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing per se, but I would think that someone there would know how to run a bus system and not learn it on, on the job.
1: So what outside of this plan, straight up, you don't think Bob Mirabito is doing a good job.
0: I do not think that he is. I think that we still do not have an effective or efficient bus system. I I was driving down yesterday. I was driving down Broussard actually down Myrtle In the Garden District, and I see the Garden District trolley running through. Guess how many people were on it? Zero. Zero, not a one.
1: But you know how that goes here and John with people who don't want to ride the bus they don't need to ride the bus because you know they own cars
0: I understand that but you could for the for the amount of money that you spend on the bus system in EBR you could give everybody Uber vouchers <laughs> and Uber is a very look I'm very proud of Uber councilman Heck and I brought Uber to Baton Rouge that was Ryan our, that was Heck. A, that was our ordinance and we we brought them to Baton Rouge we called them up I
1: still owe you Heck
0: we <laughs> called them up and said hey we want you guys to come to Baton Rouge. What would it take to get y'all to come to Baton Rouge? And they yeah. thought we were—they thought we were joking. Sure, they—they they were like, we've never been approached by a public official and said, "Come to our city." But we brought them here, and it's true. I mean, they—they they thought we—they're like, you're the unicorn. We've been looking for you all our lives. We had no idea that you actually existed. We thought you were a fiction of our imagination. we actually brought them to Baton Rouge. And by bringing them to Baton Rouge, we've had, first of all, you, you'll be able to see the numbers. I think coming up. That the DUI the rate has dropped and everybody's I mean, everybody who has used it, I use it all the time. It's a great improvement over our, our previous transit system. You could give every man, woman, and child that uses the bus right now a, you know, thousand dollar voucher for Uber.
1: So you would get rid no, of cats. You would do more than that. You would get rid of cats. I would have the capital city of Louisiana without a transit system.
0: I would actually cr- have put in an effective and efficient transit system.
1: But I mean, what? How, it, it's been the way it's been. It, look, there is no argument. It has been inefficient. OK, I think that's fair. mirbido has been there for two years. First 30, first first six months of him being there, he was putting out a lot of fires. I mean, you had people stealing, you had all kinds of things going on, and you know about that. Sure. So they have avoided scandal for the most part—scandal in terms of theft or, or something like that. Hell, he sat right there and did a podcast about a month and a half ago. He probably regretted doing it, <laughs> but the comment he made, I think, I don't, I don't think Bob Mirabito is a racist. Okay. And I think what he was trying to say is that maybe there are people who don't want to use the buses because of whatever reasons. I don't think he was generalizing and saying everybody in Baton Rouge is that way. But you, it was any time, it was, the, it was the worst. It was
0: probably the worst thing, the worst thing I've heard public official say in Baton Rouge in the last couple of years. Okay, for sure. Taliban, um, worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> he said that people didn't ride the cat's bus. Because the drivers no, were black.
1: No, he didn't. That's the,
0: no, he didn't say that. He he said there may solution be some to that. And his solution, that, I did listen to that podcast. And his solution to that was to hire more white drivers. No, no I, I was.
1: Come on, that, that's 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 kind of. There was more to the context of what he was saying than that.
0: Man, that's what I heard.
1: That's because you don't <laughs> like the guy. It's online. It's online. That's right. Everybody
0: can listen, make up their own. But mind. But you
1: don't like the guy.
0: I I make no bones about it. Don't I like it's like guy. you
1: know, but but you didn't like him from day one. It's like oh no, well, I didn't
0: have any. I didn't have any Oh, it didn't one. seem
1: like it seemed I, like you didn't like him from day one. No, I mean he,
0: he just quickly made mistakes and, and and missteps and didn't take didn't move. But how much time
1: are you, doesn't the guy deserve a chance to do the job before you fire him from it?
0: Did not you just tell me how people are you know?
1: Not, well, that's <laughs> two years, not thirty years. It's been two years, but he, that's my point. It's two years in comparison to thirty years. I mean, and listen—you're married to the EBR school system forever, unless something changes. You're not married to Bob Mirabito being the CEO of Cats. He's an employed person with a contract. They
0: just renewed his contract.
1: So, well, yeah. Now he's
0: renew- now he is the highest paid official in in
1: East Baton Rouge Parish. That's true. Which means, I guess, the mayor is underpaid. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like that. So, but come on. Now, listen—you mentioned where the guy lives. You were quoted by Rebecca in a story. Our buddy Rebecca Allen okay. for the Advocate. Why'd you do that? Putting out where the guy lives in this era of nutbags. And I mean, she wrote it. She printed it. But don't you think that's where his family is?
0: Oh, I mean, look. I I,
1: I know you're not I trying to I, seek I, I, the siege no, on his of, family. Of but, course yeah. not. Of course not. No,
0: I, and I I may have said university club versus country club, but. Um, and I assume he, I don't, I don't even know that that's where he lives. I know he lives in a country club. No, oh, we will neither confirm um, nor deny so, that. But, but no, my idea was that this is someone who doesn't live on a on a cat's bus route. He can't get to, he doesn't take the cat's bus. But what difference does that make? I go by each of my businesses yeah. every day.
1: But he's going to cats every day. But
0: he's not, yeah, but he's going to the cat's administration building. You think he goes to the bus terminal every day?
1: But he was at the bus terminal for a year and a half, right? Like a uh, hundred yards from it in that building. Well, again, the guy puts on a Santa suit for Christmas, and I don't know why he does that. But he puts on a Santa suit and goes out there at the terminal every year and hands out stuff.
0: Well, God bless him. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: Would they're, you do that? Would I do that? Yeah.
0: Get me a suit. I'll go out there with him.
1: <laughs> I believe you would. <laughs> I, maybe I need to. Maybe we'll do a second debate and get you and Bob Mirabito in here. To... But,
0: but look, I mean, look, my thing with cats is if I saw a performance, if I, saw, I I'm not going to argue with that. Okay. Sure. If I saw the performance, if I saw the successes, if I saw things being checked off of that list, I'd say, hey good job. I mean, look, I, at the end of the day, facts are stubborn things. I can't, sure, I can't get around absolutely. that. But I haven't seen the success and I haven't seen the system being created that we were promised when we paid for this cat's tax. Oh, yeah. And so I think as a taxpayer, and again, cat's tax is a property tax and it, it hit me for about a thousand bucks. And
1: there's year. still people pissed off about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: it hit me for about a thousand bucks a year. I mean, it's a significant chunk of, of, of my property tax. Oh, yeah. And so when I see that and I feel that it's being misspent, Again, I mean, I, I I, can understand why people get mad about the school system. Right. I can understand why people get mad about uh, Well, cats. wait a minute.
1: Wait a minute. You just walked right into that. No, sure. So here you are saying, let's get rid of cats. Let's bring Uber in here and do something totally different. While on the other side of the coin, you're killing people who have the same line of thought about the school system. No,
0: not at all. In fact, I mean... When we were talking about the school system, we said the same thing. I said I can um, understand why they're frustrated, and I can understand and appreciate the idea of bringing in charter schools to, to remedy the situation. I think that the basis school coming into Baton Rouge is going to give us some more education options.
1: Are you running for mayor?
0: It's something I'm giving careful consideration to. You know, we talked. Don't well, give me
1: the gentle answer. Now. Well, let me
0: tell you. Let me tell you the, the answer is that I'm I'm giving it very careful consideration. I'm. I'm it's not something you walk into lightly. Sure. Um, I have responsibilities to my family, which. Being mayor or certainly running for mayor will take me away from them a lot. Um, I have responsibilities to my clients. I'm an attorney, so I'd have sure. to give up my law practice to be mayor. Um, and that's a big st- I mean, look, I've, I've been an attorney for the last 15, 16 years, mm-hmm. so it's kind of the only thing I, I know how to do well. Right. And and to give that up, um, it's not something you just do on the flip of a coin. And again, you know, I, I would have to distance myself. I wouldn't be able to run my businesses or have any involvement with my businesses and um, it's a lot to give up, but at the same time, you know, I feel a, a great debt to this community, to this city, like we were talking about earlier, and so much of that they did for for my family, um, and, and and so much love I have for Baton Rouge that um, if I'm given the opportunity, I, I, I certainly would. Um,
1: How do you make up with all the pissed off Republicans that you called uh, t- terrorists?
0: Well, again, I, you know. Uh, I think that there's people that are gonna look at me and say, you know, he's against St. George, uh so so we're not gonna have anything to do with him ever. And that that's You think fine. you can win know. them back? I don't know. I don't know. I mean I think that if they sit down and talk with me, um if I get to if they get to listen to what I have to say, see my vision for Baton Rouge, um, you know, whether I whether I run for mayor or just run for reelection, um I think that um, those people who see my vision for Baton Rouge would would support me even if they didn't like my stance on St. George. And look, my, my stance on St. George is again, it's part of, of, of who I am. I think that we're better off together than, than separated. I think that you know this is an unnecessary divorce. okay? This is a divorce over leaving the toilet seat up, not because you know, you, you
1: leaving you know, the toilet seat up.
0: It, it, look, again, there are things that can be done to fix the problems yes. that we have.'t okay. it It's not a irre- irreconcilable difference.
1: That's, that makes more sense. You are the king of the horrible metaphor. Right? just God. <laughs> All right, well, final question here. What do you, How do you want to be perceived? And, you know, everything we talked about with, in, included, but just overall, you, you know, you're a businessman here, you're a citizen here, husband, father, elected official. How do you want to be perceived by the people who know you, who you are, and see you on the streets?
0: I think the people that see me um, on the streets, and they, they may have a, a preconceived notion on me based on what they see on TV or hear on the radio. Sure. And I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, you know, that's the day and age that we live in. Sure. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I care. Um, I, how, how do I want to be perceived? I want to be perceived as someone who cares. I care about my family. I care about my city and my community, and I want to make it better. You know, when we talked about our, you know, my daughter and, and our daughters earlier, and how we do our, mm-hmm. we do it changes our perspective. You know, having Lucy, um, and 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 having her in my life has has basically made me do everything for her, mm-hmm. and not only. You know, as a father, but as a as a political figure, uh, as an elected official, when I do things, I do it for her, and and really for everybody's Lucy. Sure. You know, for everybody's kids, and I understand that so much better now, having my own child. And so, um, that that's how I want to be perceived. I want to be perceived as, as the guy who cares.
1: Do you have fun sitting here doing this? I did. This is great.
0: <laughs> I, look, I. I could do this. I could
1: do this a thousand times. <laughs> well, we, we'll have you back. I enjoyed the conversation as well. You're a fiery guy. Yeah, you know, I like people who can have a good fiery discussion, laugh and joke, and are not easily offended. I think we, as a society, we're just offended way too easy now. I agree. I mean, I, you know, obviously some things are over the line, uh, but but for the most part, that line was a hell of a lot further back than it is right now. Yeah. And I think we should be able to disagree and have fiery arguments. And, and still be okay. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, we disagree. We had a yelling, a screaming, whatever, but it's fine, you yeah. know. But, uh, and, and I think our kids don't know how to deal. They go from zero to shooting one another yeah. because they can't have disagreements without it being the nuclear option. You
0: yeah, know? you know, it's funny. Uh, people, Buddy Amoroso, for example, Buddy and I disagree on a lot of issues uh, politically, but we'll still go to to Huey's after, after a council meeting and have sure. a glass of scotch and, t- and yeah. just talk about our lives and our kids and our, and our, and, and and we can disagree without being disagreeable. Sure. You know, we're not, look, my wife and I disagree. My mom and I disagree. My, you know, you disagree with people every day. That's, that doesn't mean that you hate them. It doesn't mean that you, Think less of them. You have differences of opinion, and so that's you know I think that's important for us to all realize. I think as a, as a, as a society that just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you hate them. Doesn't right. mean you 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 want to see them. You know, I know Suffer or anything. Oh like that. sure, I agree.
1: I agree. Metro Council Member John Delgado, the first of a few uh you know appearances he'll have here. Next time he'll be with Lionel Rainey. Come on, I Lionel. can't wait for that. You hear it, Lionel? He's laying down I'm the gauntlet, for brother. You. All right, back in just a moment. If we could show you the newly. 2016 Acura ILX, we'd open on a tight shot of our signature Jewel Eye LED headlights piercing through the darkness as a stormy fog rolls in. Next, we cut inside the cabin, panning over the dashboard to the available dual panel control system, both of the high-tech screens glowing, awaiting command. Then we move across the sleek lines of the ILX's redesigned exterior. Light falls against its aggressive curves as its 2.4 liter engine revs with anticipation. Finally, we'd slowly zoom in on the ILX badge and then poof, it's gone. It's 8-speed dual-clutch transmission in full effect before charging out of view. But because we can't show you any of this, you'll just have to see the lightning-quick ILX for yourself. Come into your local Acura dealer for a test drive. The new 2016 Acura ILX. Catch it if you can. Visit Acura of Baton Rouge, 13550 Airline Highway, or get information online at acurabr.com. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Well, there you have it. A pretty good conversation with a Metro Councilman who is a good sport We agree on that, not being so easily offended. I love mixing it up with people, and we had a good time talking. And as you can tell, the debate between he and Lionel Rainey is going to be one for the ages. I look forward to that. Two passionate guys, two opinionated guys, two showmen, getting them in here, letting them have the conversation. It is going to be something else. Strap it on in, and I'm going to try to do that in June. That's right. We're going to try to do that next month. Get him in here at one time, debate the issue of the city of St. George, and you can be the judge. If you notice in the conversation a lot, I didn't bring him in here to fight with him on every detail. I think the man has a right to his opinions, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, is your right. And we got a chance to hear about where he was coming from. And it's interesting, though, when you think about his family perspective and how that motivates his opinion on what's happening with the city. It's just, you know, I did not know that about him before we did the interview. And hopefully you got a chance to make up your own mind about it. Now you've heard from Lionel Rainey. Now you've heard from Councilman Delgado. Let's get them in here together and see what happens. Hopefully everything but uh, them tearing up my building here. And even if they do, I got to get video of it, you know. All right. Have a great one, y'all. Thank you for listening to The Clay Young Show on podcast225.com and on iTunes. Enjoy the rest of your day. If you're just getting your day started listening to us driving into work, have a great one. If you're wrapping up your day after a long one or a bad one or even a good one, whatever, you can do it again tomorrow. We'll see you next week on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.